Give a round of applause and welcome up Rona. Hey, you guys think it's it's a little too loud? Is my voice okay? Is it is it too too loud? I have a very I have a voice that projects, so I will get louder than this. Are you guys going to be okay with that? All right. It's good to see everyone. I'm going to move this because I walk around. I don't want to hurt myself. Thank you, Michelle. Um, I think I've gotten to meet a lot of you. Some of you have been around for a long time, so I know you by now. And then others of you I met just this semester, but because of our Welcome Week events, we had some time to get to know each other. And I think some of you new students have been just itching for a large group to finally start. Like, I know Josh has been like, what are we doing tonight? Uh, games? Uh, you know, and like every event, he thinks it's like a worship service, but it's not. Today is the day that we had our first large group. Hey, Borg. Can you bring me my Bible? Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. And, um, and I'm really excited about bringing you the word. Um, man, the, the crazy story that God's written for SNU Emmaus, it's really unbelievable when, when I sit down and think about it. And I think the ones of you who've been here from the beginning, um, like Jung Mi, you know, Bora, you know, Hyojin, you guys have been around for a long time. But um, for those of you who are new, man, God has really supernaturally written this story. And the reason that we're even, even able to do this um, and worship God on this campus, it's a miracle. It's really a miracle. So before I get into my message, I just want to like tell you guys briefly um, the story of Emmaus. And it's basically like Yonsei University is the mother campus okay and in this campus there was just so much fruit god's spirit was being poured out there's a lot of multiplication increase and then before we know it they're like hey we've got eight staff here like a hundred something students coming to large group and what emmaus is carrying is so special like there's exchange students international students english-speaking students from all over the place on all these campuses in korea and and there's korean ministries but what if students want to worship in english what if they want some type of fellowship in english what if they want to connect to the lord in a language that's more understandable to them whether they're here for a short time or a long time and and specifically the grace on emmaus is is unlike any other campus ministry i'm not saying we're better or we're worse but i'm saying every ministry God has entrusted a certain revelation, a certain grace, a certain thing that they're supposed to fulfill and only them, right? And and what Emmaus does is so crazy powerful. Um, and, and so they were like, hey, let's send two of our staff to SNU. I was one of them, okay? And so in spring, or no, fall 2012, I just came to this campus by myself because the other... One sent here, had a job. I was the only full-time minister. And I would just walk around campus, get lost every day. And, like, it was when a lot of things were being constructed, so the paths were, like, obstructed. And I would just circle the same buildings over and over and just meet random people and ask for directions all day. And I was really like, what the heck, you know? There's, like, no one here except for Jung Mi Bo and Hyojin. And, and then, um, and then, but God started moving powerfully. And that semester, they sent us, like, he sent us, like, Stephanie and, you know, just a bunch of crazy, funny students. And then every single semester, God has been so faithful to us. And um, I went, I came onto campus one day to meet the, the Sagion head, which is the, the campus, the organization that oversees all the Christian ministries. So like, Kate, like CCC, InterVarsity, Emmaus, we all kind of go to this 
meeting called Seogyeon, right? And they kind of oversee us. I was going to meet the Seogyeon president, and she introduced me to a professor who is president of the Christian faculty, who like became our campus advisor, and I meet with regularly. He prays for us, and, and I remember my first week on campus, he just looked at me, and he was like, we've been praying for years for an English fellowship to come to this campus. Like, so every, um, every Wednesday night, it's called Suyo Chapter, and the, uh, the Christian faculty, they get together, and they've been crying out for revival at SNU for like, I don't know, like longer than I've been alive. And then they've just been praying and praying, especially for the international students to really get to taste and see the Lord on this campus. And, and then he looked at me with tears in his eyes. It's like, old man, professor, and he's like, we've been praying for you. You're an answer to our prayers. And I was just like, you're an answer to our prayers. <laughs> you know? ah, it was just a really special moment. And, and every semester, God's marked Emmaus SNU with stories like that, where it's just, it doesn't even make sense. Like, it doesn't make sense that we can use this room. It doesn't make sense that we're here um, on this campus and that we're seeing salvations. We're seeing God pour out a spirit. We're seeing people um, healed and delivered and set free and, and being used to minister to other people. And so it's really crazy that it all started then. Right? And it hasn't been long since we've been doing it, but just seeing the fruitfulness, the faithfulness of God to us, um, it's, it's been a really exciting adventure. And if you're new this semester, I welcome you into that story. Um, every single student that's passed through this campus um, has been a very special one. And whether they stay here long term and God begins to use them in Seoul and in Emmaus and in, in Korea, or God sends them back, um, if you're in this room, it's for a, a divine purpose. And um, I'm always excited when I meet you because I know that you're not here by accident, but God has orchestrated it and allowed you to be with us for this season. So welcome. Um, We love having you. And yeah, so my name is Rona. Like Michelle introduced me, I'm the campus director of Emmaus SNU. Eunice Lee is the campus director of Emmaus KU. Tina Lee is the campus director of Emmaus Yonsei. Okay, so we're at three campuses right now. All three campuses are meeting for a large group. Yonsei is not? Yonsei is? Yonsei doesn't. Two campuses are meeting tonight at the same time, so we can like lift up prayers and feel good that they're also worshiping the Lord with us. Um, yeah, but um, if you have spent any length of time with me, you know that uh, soon you will find out that I love poetry and I love literature, okay? Um, I love poetry and I love literature. And... There are some, I don't know if like you guys have similar experiences, but there are just some like books and some stories, some, you know, poems, some characters, even some like phrases and sentences that even though I read them when I was a little kid or in high school or whatever, they've stayed with me my whole life. Like I carry certain characters and stories with me and I just remember them. Um, and they've like really deeply impacted me. Okay. And, and if you don't connect with poetry and literature in that way, that is okay. I'm sure it's with music or something else, but, but I love poetry and literature. And I want to read to you one such poem that has deeply impacted me, okay? And I think all of us have heard this poem in particular because it's really um, popular and they read it at a lot of like graduation ceremonies and stuff like that. So, so it's been very popularized, which makes me like it less, but it's still a good one, okay? So I'm going to read it to you. Um, <clears throat> Two roads diverged in a yellow wood 
And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubt if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. All right, who has ever heard that poem before? Or at least parts of it? Okay, anybody know who wrote it? Anyone boldly want to say it? (laughs) Robert Frost, right. Okay, and I think you guys all maybe have heard that. Ow! I told you guys I would do that. Someone help me. Someone help me. Take this, take this away. Um, so, like, I love this poem, and I think all of you guys have heard at least the, the last part of it. Two roads diverged in a wood, right? Diverge means split. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference, okay? So that's the most popular, like, part of it, and it's read at a lot of graduation speeches to inspire us to be brave and courageous as we get jobs and face the real world. But I read this poem to you because in it, there's one clear aspect of the human condition that I want to point out to all of us, okay? And it's the same thing for all of us. It's something we can all connect to in this poem, the last couple lines. And that is the whole phenomenon of choice. Everybody say choice. Okay? This traveler, if you kind of put yourself in into this poem that Robert Frost wrote, it says that he stood on a road and it began to fork. Okay? This one road led to two. And he had a decision to make, okay? I can go on this path or I can go on this path. And just like this traveler, all of us have decisions like that in our lives. We're walking and walking. Everything seems okay. Nothing's confusing. Everything's clear. The path is before me. And then all of a sudden, we're faced with a decision to make. Okay? The road diverges and we have choices to make. We have paths that we can choose from. And one part of the poem, it says... Knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. And what the traveler means by this is, it's a really hard decision, okay? Because I know that if I take this path, it's going to lead me really far down this way, and I probably won't be able to get back to the starting point again. Like, I'm not going to get to this fork in the road. If I choose this path, I'm going to go in that direction. And, and which path I take influences what my life will look like, and eventually it'll influence what my life will end up like. And so this decision's really hard for me to make. I don't know which path I should take. That's what Robert Frost is depicting through this traveler. Okay? It's not an easy decision for the traveler to make. Um, the reason we know this poem so well is because the traveler ended up doing the heroic thing, okay? He took the road less traveled by. Everyone say, the road less traveled by. So evidently there's this road that's like really, really clear. The grass has been cut. There's flowers blooming, okay? There's a shade from the trees. There's a lot of people who've already walked it, and it's very 
plain and simple and you can like see that it's going to be a nice pleasant walk and then there's one where there's a bunch of bushes and it's like a jungle okay Ooh, ah, and monkeys and it's scary and 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 you can't see and it's dark and it's lonely and he's like man that one looks good that one looks not so good But I, I took the road less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Okay, so the reason, like, if, if, if he was like, I chose, I I chose the road that was well traveled by, no one would like this poem, right? Because this inspires some type of, like, like, heroic boldness and courage in us to, to not be afraid to risk things and to be bold and courageous. So that's why we know this poem, because this traveler chose the unknown path, right? Um, He says it made all the difference in his life that he chose this unknown, this this less traveled by path. And just like this traveler in our own lives, we have the same decisions to make, right? We are faced with many crossroads, many forks in the road. And some decisions that we face are pretty important, you know, like maybe who our friends are going to be, where are we going to go to college, what are we going to major in, like what we're going to surround our our lives with what what people what kind of situations there are many big decisions important decisions we face where will you study abroad okay all of you made a decision to come here or some of you didn't have many choices in your exchange program but you made a decision to study abroad but there are other less important decisions like you know am i going to eat mac and cheese tonight or cheetos or am i going what am i going to wear today right i think I think for Eugene, that choice is a little simpler. He <laughs> looks at his closet, black, black, black. Or if I'm feeling particularly spunky today, gray, you know. <laughs> but the rest of us have, have to choose other variety of colors. But, but all of us have decisions to make every single day. Big important ones, not so important ones. We're all full of these choices, okay? These diverging paths, these diverging roads. That's the human condition. All of us, our choice, our decision makers, okay? But we can all agree that as Frost wrote, way leads on to way. The more and more decisions we make, the farther along a certain path we go, right? So you decided to major in this thing, which caused you to have to get some language credits, which caused you to have to study abroad, which brought you to this room, which brought you to this campus, which brought you to certain classes, which introduced you to certain friends, which, you know what I mean, the more you walk down a certain path, it's not like you can go back right now and teleport to your home university and, like, change your mind, right? You've already walked down a path, and you're here. And now... Certain choices are no longer available to you. Like, too bad you're not in France. You're in Korea, okay? And then also, there are new choices. You have new people around you. You have new options. You can now visit, um, you know, Goje Island or Jeju-do Island. You couldn't have made that decision if you decided to study in England this semester. Do you know what I mean? So the, the way goes on to way. When you walk down a certain path, there are certain options that are now closed to you, and there are now other choices you have to make, but you're going further down a path. Our lives are like that. It's like a journey, okay? And it's not like some type of weird like staged journey, but it's like an adventure, and we don't really know where it's going to go. And it's exciting, and there's a lot of unknowns in it, but that's what this poem is saying when it says, way leads on to way, okay? And obviously, for those who who are in this room, I think some of you guys have an inkling about this, but 
For all humans, the most important choice we could ever make is what we choose to believe to be real about God, right? That's pretty much the most important choice we could ever think about. The most important decision we could ever make is what will I believe about this creator God? Because what you believe about God to be true will definitely impact the paths that you take and will definitely impact the outcome of your life on this earth, but also for all of eternity. And so that's the most important decision. That's the most important choice we could ever make. It's the most important thing we could ever think about. But, um, you know, maybe all Christians, maybe all people who are, you know, at least familiar with the church, we're conceptually aware that being a Christ follower, you know, makes me look different than the world. Like, we all know that if we grew up in church, that our lives are set apart, that we're supposed to look different. At least we know that in our minds. But... If indeed a loving, perfect, holy, all-powerful creator and father God does exist, it should change things more than just a little bit on this path of life that we're walking. Okay? Um, All believers who are born again, all believers who've had that salvation experience when they said, I make you the Lord and Savior of my life, I call upon your name, Jesus, that was a diverging road. Okay, And you, at that moment when you receive Christ, if you have, you stepped onto a path that is less traveled by. Okay, You already started it. Okay? There you are, traveler. Okay? Traveler of the world. When you made a decision to say, Jesus, you're my Lord, you stepped onto that unknown, perilous, scary path. Okay? You left the road that is very common and very simple. It's done. You already started on it. Okay? Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Even the scripture says, hey, there's a narrow gate, and there's a wide gate. And not many people find this narrow gate, but Broad is the path, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, okay? What scripture is saying is that when you choose that narrow path, maybe it's a little bit unknown and scary, but it's actually the path of life, okay? It's the path to everlasting life. When the saving grace of God comes into our lives and we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we start our walks on the road that is less traveled by, instantly, okay? But many Christians think that that is it. Okay, I made a decision to follow Christ. I am on the road less traveled by. Okay, and now I put the car on cruise control and I just coast along until one day I stroll into the pearly white gates and I'm going to give Jesus a big hug. Okay, the end. All right, because I took a step onto the perilous unknown narrow gate path and now I'm on the path of life and this is just it. And then I'm going to just meet Jesus and it's all done. All good. Okay. But that's really not the path, that's not the picture that Jesus painted for us in the scripture. That's not the the picture of the Christian life that Jesus modeled for us in the Bible, and it's not what he calls us to. You see, that first fork in the road and your decision to become a Christ follower is the first of many more decisions that as a Christ follower you're going to have to make. Okay, Because when you walk a little bit down that path of salvation, the path of life, soon you'll meet with another diverging road. You'll meet with another fork in the road. You'll meet with another two paths. Okay, 
And we really need to be aware that we are making conscious decisions, that we're making decisions that will impact what the outcome of our lives will look like as believers. There's no such thing as just coasting along and getting there, okay? Things that you do, the decisions you make, way leads to way. They're going to close certain things, open up other ones, okay? Open up other choices you have to make in the future. Every choice, it matters. Every decision actually matters a lot in this Christian walk, okay? Every single time we're met with a fork in the road, one will be the road that is narrow, and less traveled by, and one will be a, a path that is broad, and one that is a little bit simpler, okay? One will be a little bit more unknown and scary, a little bit more risky, and one will be a little bit easier and comfortable, okay? That's how it goes. And the crazy thing is, God will never say, oh, you're my child now, so I'm not going to let you make any decisions. You are on like this, I don't know if you guys know what go-karts are, but I'm a pretty bad driver, so uh, my parents took me there a lot and almost had heart attacks every time because there's like these rubber guards against the the path so you can't hurt yourself right because you'll just bounce back and like bumper cars same thing so but for some reason i just kept hitting all the walls on both sides god's not like that okay he gives us a freedom to choose him to choose the narrow path or not that's just how he rolls because love can't be forced and this is a relationship with him so even though we're believers and he gives us saving grace he chose us more and more we're going to walk and we're going to find a diverging road and he's going to say are you going to choose comfortable consumer christianity or deep intimacy and fellowship with jesus it's going to be scarier here are you going to choose your understanding or are you going to choose to trust in me it's going to be a little bit harder here he lets us choose Every single step we take, every single time the road comes to a fork, he will never force us. Holy Spirit is given to us. Holy Spirit leads us, nudges us, but God will never force us. God does not force us to make decisions to follow him. God does not force us. It's our choice. Okay? But every choice we make makes a difference. One thing I found is that the more and more you you choose that radical path of faith and trust in God, sometimes the less and less people you find yourself with, okay? At the beginning, when everybody was getting saved, okay, at youth camp, okay, it was like, hey, it's a party. Let's all get saved together. We're all going to heaven. Party, heaven, Jesus, okay? But then, but then you start walking a little bit more and certain decisions are made, okay? Your friends, some of them that you started with, they pieced out, okay? They went on another path and you were like, hey, I know. I can feel Holy Spirit talking to me. I can feel Jesus calling me forward on this path. You take another step. You walk for a little bit. Everything's good. You have some, some new homies, okay, that get you and that love Jesus. You guys go together for a little bit and then there's another diverging path and things get a little bit more tight, okay? Things are a little bit harder and then, and then you take a step because you know the right thing to do. You know Jesus is there, okay? And you look around you and then... Hey, where'd all my friends go? Oh, they already went on the other path. And then you find yourself, you're the only one walking. Sometimes we encounter seasons like that, guys. And it's easy for us to think, man, am I doing something wrong? Like, why am I the only one here? It's scary and lonely, okay? But 
in those times you have to keep walking forward because that road is the path of life. That road is the path of intimacy and fellowship with Jesus. We can't, we can't judge and criticize the people who've taken the other more comfortable road. God has called us to him in different ways. But what I'm saying is you have to take the road that is true to how God's calling you, how God's speaking to you. He has things in store for you that are unimaginably good on that path that were custom tailored for you. Okay. Moments may come when you begin to doubt and wonder if it's all worth it in the end to continue to take that narrow path. But I feel really, really burning on my heart God's word for Emmaus, SNU in particular, is to just keep walking forward and to take the road less traveled by. Okay? So I want us to turn to a well-known passage to us OG Emmaus people, um, Luke 24. If you've got your Bible, please turn to Luke 24, um, starting with verse 13, or pull out your smartphone, iPad device, um, Luke 24, starting with verse 13. I am famous for preaching long sermons. And I am committed freshly to take the narrow road and not. So I'm going to try my best, okay? Okay, so Luke 24. Everybody, okay, everybody good? I'm going to start reading at verse 13, and we're going to go all the way to 35, okay? This is the scripture that we get our ministry name from. Emmaus comes from this passage, okay? I'm going to read from the ESV. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, okay? About seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who is going to redeem Israel. Everybody say, redeem Israel. What is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Say how foolish you are. Mm. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. 
They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told about what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Okay? So this is the passage we get our ministry name, Emmaus Campus Ministry, from. We find young people in college on a path of life um, from all over the place, here for four years or here for one semester, and our ministry exists to introduce people to Jesus. Okay, And that means non-believers coming to know Jesus for the first time, and it means people who've grown up in church and they love Jesus with all their hearts coming to know a deeper revelation of him through the scripture, through fellowship, through worship. Okay, It's about encountering Jesus and finding that our hearts are burning within us. That's why our ministry exists. And we see that happen every semester, and it's awesome. Okay, Ask all the student leaders and people who've been around for long time they have testimonies upon testimonies about crazy students who encounter jesus and you're like wow didn't expect that to happen but jesus you are real okay but i want to put this passage into context in terms of what the writer was talking about in the bible all right you see what had happened right before this passage when jesus was walking on the road was that he was alive doing ministry he was crucified he died he was buried he rose from the dead the grave was empty and then he pops up on this conversation okay so that's what happened just before this happened and these disciples who were on the road to Emmaus it's not like they have never seen Jesus before they were with him they saw him doing miracles they saw him preaching and teaching they saw him with the disciples they were familiar with Jesus to a certain extent And in the same way, talking about our diverging roads analogy, they had already made a decision to take the road less traveled by. Why? Because while Jesus was alive, they decided to follow him. They decided to call themselves his disciple. They decided to walk in the way of Jesus. Okay? So they already started down that path. Just like many of us, when we decided to follow Jesus and become Christians, decide that he's our Lord and Savior, right? When we made that decision. But... Things started to fall apart, and nothing went as planned for these disciples, okay? You see, in this time, Jews were looking for a certain picture of a Messiah. He would be charismatic and bold, a political leader, a military leader, and he was going to bring lasting peace to Jerusalem, and all the worldly leaders would look at him and say, oh man, he is the king, okay? He's it. And he was going to bring political rest to this area. He was going to redeem, redeem Israel. That's what these disciples had planned on Jesus doing, okay? So when Jesus came up beside them, scripture said their faces were downcast. Everyone say downcast. Everyone make your face look downcast. Can you downcast your face? Okay. It's, it's basically like you are literally looking down and you're extremely disappointed, extremely disillusioned, extremely upset, extremely sad about something. Okay. These disciples, good Josh, that's, that's <laughs> wonderful. Well, well done. Okay. So these disciples were on a road and, and I don't know if you guys have ever been walking on a road and you've just, you've really just been disappointed. Okay. Your faces are downcast. And in that moment when they're the most upset, Jesus pops up right next to them but they're so upset they don't even recognize him okay they're so downcast they can't even recognize who's standing right beside them 
He says, why are you so downcast? Why? And they said, well, we had hoped. Everyone say hoped. We had hoped that Jesus would be the one who would redeem Israel. But this Jesus is dead. Downcast, okay? They put their hope while Jesus was alive. He was saying all this stuff about the kingdom, about, about people being, you know, about being raised from the dead, about all these new hopes, about all these new dreams, about this new life, about following him, about the kingdom being near. And then he died, okay? And then they started walking on a path and their faces are downcast because they had hoped that he would bring redemption to Israel and their hopes are all shattered. Okay, it didn't go as planned. Things fell apart. They're downcast. They thought Jesus didn't follow through. Jesus didn't act the way that we thought he should act. He didn't do what we thought he should do. He didn't come through in the way that we expected him to come through. Our hope was in Jesus redeeming Israel and he didn't do it. We made a decision to take the road less traveled by and follow Jesus. Yet, look at where we are now. Nothing went as planned. Instead of being exalted by the worldly leaders and the religious leaders of the time, Jesus was crucified by them. Everything they expected Jesus to do for them, he didn't do. And from every earthly standpoint, it looked like Jesus had failed. Okay? From every earthly, worldly standpoint, it looked like Jesus had failed. But isn't that how we often feel sometimes? We put our trust in Jesus. We take the narrow, less traveled by road. We follow him and make him Lord of our lives. And then we, we start to imagine what this new life in him could look like. We put our hope and our trust in him. And then things just don't go as planned. Okay? Our hopes are shattered. Our dreams don't work out. And life doesn't end up neat and, and pan out the way we imagined it to. And just like these disciples, we realize that nothing really goes as planned. And our faces are downcast. We wonder where Jesus is in all of this. We're let down. Okay? And I can very much relate to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Um, I, I often share my testimony in the first uh, Emmaus large group just because I want to just let you guys know that you are safe to be you wherever you're, you came from, whatever you're still doing, whatever you did before. Um, we're all in a safe place here, and there is no judgment or condemnation. You are freely accepted in this community. Um, but I can relate to their downcast faces, their disappointment, their disillusionment, because that's exactly what I felt like as well on my road to Emmaus. Um, and though life is full of many choices, I felt like a lot of choices had already been made, and I was just put in certain circumstances and situations that I had no choices. I was just stuck there, okay? I grew up with an alcoholic father. He was abusive both verbally and often um, emotionally and physically as well. He cheated on my mom for 17 years. They were married. And in response, I began to develop a lot of irrational fears and unhealthy paranoia. Like, I was a really, really, really messed up kid. Very, 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 very uh, afraid all the time of people, of, of everything. And 
Um, in high school, my parents divorced. My mother then got severely ill. She had a brain aneurysm, almost died, had brain surgery. We were homeless because we couldn't pay for the hospital bills. My dad kicked us out on the street, got remarried to a really young woman, and we were just it, like destitute. My mom's poorest friends took us in. Um, I was teetering between a life of extreme, just like going buck wild and doing whatever I wanted and overachievement and trying to like strive and achieve something to give my life meaning and value. I was going back and forth between the two and everything sucked okay I I felt like I couldn't make any choices and that's just the lot I had been given in life and uh, much like these two disciples I was very 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 disappointed in Jesus okay very disappointed in Jesus you see I had grown up in church my whole life Uh, I think I I uh, started attending when I was seven vacation Bible school And I read about this loving father God and a savior who died for me and the new life in Christ. But when I looked around me, all I could see was lack and pain and disappointment and death. And I expected Jesus to do something about it every single year, every single day. Even in my childhood prayers, I would pray that he would change and fix my dad, that he would make my parents happy, that they could stop arguing. I prayed so much and and nothing ever changed and things kept getting worse. And I was very disappointed in Jesus. I thought he would come through. You see, I had hoped that Jesus would be the one to redeem my life, just like the disciples had hoped Jesus would redeem Israel. The truth is that their hope, though, and my hope, was in my own understanding, right? They didn't really put their hope in God, or in what, but they put their hope in what God could do. They put their hope in what they thought God would do. There is a difference between putting your hope in Jesus and putting your hope in what you think he will do for you, right? Because that is a realm that is limited to your understanding and what your mind can conceive of God. But if you put your hope in God, it's a very, very different thing altogether. Because if God begins to move in unexpected ways... If things don't pan out in the way we prefer, according to our timeline, according to how we imagined it all, we don't turn to God in offense anymore, okay? We don't turn to God and wonder where he is in all of this. Maybe God never said that he would redeem Israel the way that the disciples thought he would. Maybe his plans were unimaginably greater than they could have ever imagined, Maybe the more important thing was that these disciples would be able to recognize the presence of Jesus when he popped up on the road next to them. Okay? Maybe that was the whole point of the story, is that they would know the presence of Jesus by now. Because if they could recognize that, it would make all the difference on their journeys. If their hope were in Jesus, with no entitlement or strings attached, they would not have been so disappointed. They would not have known, they would have known he was with them, and their hope would not have been moved. It would have been unshakable hope. You see, deception causes us to focus on what God didn't do, rather than on what he did do. Okay? Deception causes us to focus on what God did not do for me, rather than what he did do for me. Okay, that's what deception does. That's what the enemy tries to get us to focus on. Oh, you took the less traveled by road. You made all the sacrifices. You peaced out with your friends. You followed Jesus with your life. And then what, what are you getting out of it? Wait, 
Look, your, your parents are still fighting. Your mom is now sick. Look at all the bad things happening to you. Hey, if you put your hope in Jesus, there's new life, right? Why isn't Jesus following through? Why didn't he redeem Israel the way that, that he was supposed to? Why didn't he come through? That is not truth. That is not the voice of truth. That is the voice of deception. And deception causes us to focus on what God didn't do rather than what he did do and what he is currently doing. They, these disciples were so wrapped up and clouded in deception that they didn't realize that Jesus was standing right next to them. Deception blinds us from what he's doing right now. They didn't realize that he had performed the most crazy, ridiculous, unbelievable miracle of all time by raising from the dead. They didn't realize that all this stuff was happening because there was no political leader. There was no military leader. He did not bring peace to Jerusalem. Okay, He didn't move in the way they expected and hoped he would in their own understanding of what success looked like. So they were blinded to what he was doing at that moment. That's what deception does to us. It turns our focus on exactly the wrong thing. Jesus said to them in verse 25, foolish ones. He says, foolish ones and slow of heart, which means they lacked faith. But if we think about it from the world's perspective, okay, Christian goggles, no, world goggles, okay? World perspective, from a rational perspective, these disciples actually weren't foolish. These two disciples were understandably upset. Anyone would have been disappointed if they were in their shoes, okay? It made sense they felt the way they did, that they were let down, but to Jesus in the kingdom, only faith pleases God. And the way that they were thinking was just foolish to God, Okay, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 18, it says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, from every earthly standpoint, Jesus had failed his mission. It was foolish, okay? This king of the Jews, he died. Okay, all of it was foolish. 
If you look back in your Bibles to Luke 23, the chapter before this road to Emmaus chapter, the crucifixion account of Jesus, you see that the soldiers, the rulers, and the religious leaders all scoffed and mocked Jesus. And they said, if you are king, save yourself. You saved others, so save yourself. If you're really who you say you are, save save yourself, right? And that is a picture of earthly wisdom. It's exercising power for self-gain and self-preservation. That's a perfect example of earthly wisdom. But the wisdom of God calls that foolishness. To the world it makes sense. Save yourself, Jesus. You saved other people. Can't you get yourself off the cross? But God says, that is foolishness to me. In my eyes, that's foolishness. Why? Why does God consider that foolishness? Because little did they know that when Jesus willfully laid down his life and took his last breath, that the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And everything that divided a holy, holy, holy God from a sinful and unholy people was removed. And now everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus has access to God. That's the wisdom of God. And when when God sent his son to die for us, he didn't think in terms of earthly wisdom. Because if he did, all of us would have perished by now. But he thought in terms of his wisdom and he said no 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 no. you are foolish to say get off the cross you have no idea what's at stake you have no idea my plans for salvation for all of humanity who calls upon my son through my son dying on the cross the wisdom of god manifested in the laying down of jesus's life so that all sons and daughters of all time could call upon him and could have life and be with him forever The world called Jesus foolish. So two roads diverged in a wood. One the world calls foolish and one God calls foolish. One is a path that the world says is foolish and one is a path that the world that that God says is foolish. Which path will you choose? God's foolishness or the world's foolishness? Going back to the disciples on the Emmaus road, just like every good story, there is a turning point. Okay, I love stories. I love the climax and the turning point. And I like to think of it as a Jesus interception. Everyone say Jesus interception. interception. And there's a video that I'm going to have Eugene play for us. But but basically, if you know anything about American football, okay, I know some of you don't, and that is all right. Okay, we are not ethnocentric here. um, But... American football, basically, if if there's like a pass and the offense is going to make a pass and they're going in one direction, an interception means that the defense catches it, okay, and now the ball's going the opposite direction. And it's like the most exciting, it's it's the most exciting thing ever, okay? Like, I, I don't, like, I think that every interception I have ever watched or, like, been at the game, it's like... Ah, like life, this is life, you know? I'm just kidding. Like Jesus, knowing Jesus is life, but like, it's really exciting because you think, you think that it's going to happen and then, oh my gosh, someone just, and then it's intercepted. The ball is taken the other way, okay? Is the video going to work? All right. If it didn't, I think I painted a picture clear enough for you guys, but but I want to show it just in case you've never seen an interception so you can kind of get a visual. Okay, and that is an interception. It's going one way. You think it's done, but the ball is intercepted and it goes the other way. Okay, it's very exciting. Very exciting. <sighs> okay. And and I can look back on my life 
And it's these moments I call Jesus interceptions. Everyone say Jesus interception. It's like when the trajectory of your life, like that football, is going in one direction, and then Jesus intercepts the play, okay? And then he takes you in a completely different direction. And in those moments, it's sometimes very confusing and scary, very exciting. But there, there are moments that have marked my life that are like these Jesus interceptions, okay? And and that's also exactly what happened to these men. You see, they were walking on a road to Emmaus in a path of disillusionment, bitterness, offense toward God. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus just pops up next to them. And they are intercepted by Jesus. Because you see, after this conversation, Jesus opens up scripture and starts talking about how it's all been about him. It says that they recognized him. Their hearts burned within them. And then they ran to the other town and began telling everybody about how Jesus is alive. Okay, That's a very different play than the original one. They started off going this way. Jesus interception happened. Okay. And then they walked in a completely different way. They actually ran there. Okay. My story also had a turning point just like these disciples had. You see, during my Emmaus experience, it was actually called YACF by that, by, at that point, Yonsei International Christian Fellowship. Okay. Emmaus is a little bit easier to say, but I had uh, come and studied abroad here in spring 2008 as a college sophomore. Okay, I'm now 26 years old. That's when I was 20. I'm getting older. Um, and I came to Yonsei University and I met a campus ministry, much a campus minister, someone like me. Um, he was a Korean American from Philly and he was working with KCCC and he was balding. And um, I went to a retreat, he laid his hands on me, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit and had a vision. I didn't believe that people had visions, okay? So that was quite an interception. And all the trauma, all the abuse, all the words that had been spoken over me by my dad, every moment that I was the most desperate and lost and downcast in my life was just flashing before my eyes. And I felt like God had just sat me right in front of him and was saying, hey, like all this stuff has been keeping me from knowing you, has been keeping you from knowing me, has been keeping my love from really going into your heart, and I want to set you free from all this crap. I brought you here. I intercepted your life so that you won't be walking down that path of destruction anymore. I want you to know me. That's why you're here, Rona. And and I began to get filled with God's spirit. I got saved and healed and delivered, and I started just being on fire for God, and it changed the trajectory of my life. I was Jesus intercepted, okay? I can't explain it. It sounds foolish in earthly standards, but in the kingdom it makes perfect sense. Okay? I went back home after my one semester in Korea and I started speaking in public, leading people to Christ. I felt a call to become a missionary or a professor. I was like going different nations and, and, and like, you know, telling people about how awesome Jesus was. And this girl who was once homeless and, and a product of abuse, right? Bringing life to so many people. It was like ridiculous. It was ridiculous what God was doing to me and what God was doing through me. That's what happens during a Jesus interception, okay? The predictable and simple storyline, the way that my life should have panned out in my own understanding is 
option one, um, the success story, right? Like you are a product of abuse, alcoholism, all this stuff, but then you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you just make a way for yourself. And then everybody looks at you and says, well done. Look, anyone can do anything, right? It's either that or repeat the cycle of abuse and like, all that and pain and all that stuff that that I had seen in my own family. I was going to go on one of those routes, and that was a simple, plain, made sense route in the worldly standards. Very easy to see which one, like the, to see that those are my options, right? I was pretty much headed down the pull yourself up by your bootstrap story. Um, I was doing pretty well for myself, but um, Jesus completely intercepted my life. Thank God. Okay? He showed up unexpectedly on my path, on my road to Emmaus. I didn't welcome it or understand it at first, but it changed everything, and I began to start my path, my journey down the road less traveled by. But over and over again, God is continually putting that diverging road in front of me, that choice in front of me. Um, even my senior year of college, I, I felt God calling me to be a missionary or a professor. So I was like, hey, all right, I'm going to go to Fuller, study intercultural studies. If God calls me to the mission field, I'll do it. I, I had all planned out. Okay, Christian, Christian, holy dream. Okay, I wasn't, I was saved. So I was like, okay, this is a good one for you, God, right? I'll make it happen for us. Um, I graduated summa cum laude. I was, I was like, I was doing really, really well. My professors were like really supportive. But then there was just something inside me that was like, why don't you go to Korea for a year and reconnect with your mentor and your community there and see what God has for you? And then I was like, hmm, that doesn't make any sense. Like, this makes a lot of sense. That doesn't make any sense. I don't know what's, I'm going to have to, I'm just going to go teach English. Like, I'm like, what, why would I do that, right? But I don't know why, but I had two roads that diverged in a wood, and one was really easy, and one, like, I had friends there already, and one made sense, and then one didn't make sense at all, but I felt God was leading me there, and I took that road, and then a month later, I was put on a May staff, something I totally did not want to do. I did not like college ministry at all. Just FYI, did not want to do this, okay? But... But I was Jesus intercepted. And then God began to intercept my plans over and over. A year, before the year even panned out, a girl walked up to me and said, I had a dream about you, and I was helping you move into a college dorm room. And I was like, why do you want to move into a dorm room? And then you had this peaceful, joyful expression on your face, and you said, it's where I want to be. And I woke up, and God told me that he's going to use you powerfully in this young generation. And I was like, okay, thanks. And then I just, you know, walked away. And the next, exactly one week later, another completely unrelated person came up to me and said, I had a vision of you from the beginning of the year, and I just got revelation of what it meant today. And basically, I saw you um, marching back and forth in front of a vast army, and you were, it was like a Braveheart scene. You guys know Braveheart? And he's like, he's rallying the troops to go to war, and you can, I don't know, like... Ah, he's like getting them pounced up, right, for battle. And she said that you were like that. You were like a general pacing back and forth in front of a large army. And today God told me who the army was, and it was the young generation. He's going to use you to prepare the young generation to bring God's kingdom to earth, to fight in the Lord's army, right, to bring his love, to bring his justice, to, to set the captives free. He's going to use you in this young generation. Exactly one week after that first one. And then I was like, oh, crap, God is telling me something. I don't know if I want to hear it. You know, and then I was like, if you really want me to listen, then tell me some, a third that you should not do this. 
Yes. Okay. Tell me a third. Tell me a third. Ah. Uh, tell me a third thing and make it very clear. Three. God, speak three times and make it very clear what you want me to do because I'm not going to do it unless you make it very clear. Okay. And then exactly one week later, Pastor Aaron pulled us us eight original uh, staff into her house and she said, "I want you guys to pray." For what God wants to do in this young generation, it's going to take commitment. It's going to take laying down your life. It's going to take sacrifice and surrender. I want you to pray about making a three-year commitment to Emmaus Campus Ministry for what God wants to do in this young generation. And instantly God was like, you want a three? And you want me to be clear. And then I, I just, you know those moments, sometimes you need to pray about decisions, but then sometimes you just know, and then you're like, crap. I don't want to know, you know? And then, so then I was like, oh, crap. And so I, one year turned into three and a half. Here I am. I stop working. I support rates. I'm a missionary. And I do this full time. Okay? And just so you know, I love college ministry now, and I love you all, okay? I love you all a lot. But, but hey, like, um, Jesus' interceptions happen, and things don't always go as planned. And, and when you take that road less traveled by, sometimes he pops up out of nowhere, and it's crazy exciting, and you're going one way, and then you get intercepted, and you go another way, and that's crazy, but that's what the life of faith looks like. That's what this adventure with him looks like, okay? It's not this systematized, boring map, but it's a relationship, and it's alive, and it's about hearing his voice. <clears throat> You know, the only time it gets scary on this journey, the only time taking the road less traveled by gets scary is when we have taken our eyes off Jesus' face. When we've gone ahead of him or lagged too far behind him, right? Because in the presence of God, there's no such thing as confusion. There's only clarity, It's only scary when you begin clinging more tightly to the hand of the world than to the hand of Jesus. Because in his presence, there's fullness of life and peace and joy and clarity. Each time I made these decisions, guys, the Holy Spirit would whisper to me, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Okay? And my question for you tonight is this. Will you allow Jesus' interceptions in your life? Two roads diverged in a wood. One life was led by the Spirit. Another path led by your understanding. Okay? A path led by the Spirit or a path led by the understanding. The decision is yours. Which will you choose? Um, I wanted to tell you guys a long story from the Old Testament about a really cool guy named Joseph. He's one of my favorite Old Testament characters, so I'm going to give you a brief synopsis instead of going more in detail. But basically, at the end of Genesis, Joseph is born into this family. He has a lot of brothers, but his dad likes him the best. His dad made him this fancy schmancy handmade jacket to tell everybody in the world that Joseph was his favorite. And Joseph, like he was amazing and he had these dreams from God. And in one dream, his brother symbolized, symbolized sheaves and he was a sheaf, right? I'm imagining that's some type of bundle of hay, okay? And basically, the, the brother sheaves bowed down to Joseph, okay? And he woke up 
He told his brothers and they hated him even more. And then he had another dream where his brothers and his dad bowed down to him. Okay. So he has these dreams about him being like influential and powerful and people bowing down to him, his whole family bowing down to him. But his brothers hate him even more. They throw him into a pit. They, they sell him into slavery. People pick him up. Then he's taken into a Potiphar's house where Potiphar's seductress wife tries to seduce him. Then she frames him for a crime he did not commit. He's thrown into prison. Okay? He's thrown into prison. And so God gives him these big pictures and dreams. Okay? Oh, two roads to virgin and wood. Whoa! My life in God is going to look like this. It looks awesome. People are bowing down to me. Wow, I'm now in a pit. Now I am a slave. Now I am being accused of a crime. And now I am in prison. Okay? If you just looked at his life episodically and you didn't know what happens next, I could. we could all fairly say this sucked. Right? Like this... Like... Wow, God, I think you missed the dream a little bit, right? But the worst part is that it's so, it's that he had those big dreams in the first place. Like, it looks so good, and now it's so bad. Like, if you didn't give him those dreams, at least he wouldn't have been disappointed, because, you know, at least he didn't know what he was missing. But, but unlike those disciples on the road, and unlike me, who, when episodically things weren't going as planned, when Jesus didn't come through in my understanding's way, Right? Joseph kind of went about it a little bit differently. Because all this crappy stuff was happening to him, but his response was very different. If you look at Genesis chapter 40, verse 6, you can see that Joseph continually made decisions on that diverging road. Decisions of faith and trust. Because one day in prison, he woke up and he came across two other prisoners who looked extremely downcast. Their faces were downcast. We heard that before, right? And he looked at them and he said, Hey, Why are you so sad? Why are you downcast? Okay? I want you to pause and think about that. In prison, he asked fellow prisoners why they were sad. Think about the logic of that, right? Think about everything that Joseph just went through. The betrayal, the loss, the pain, the confusion, his current situation with no sign of ever getting out of prison, okay? All these things that he that happened to him, he didn't deserve it. All these big dreams that didn't happen. The opposite was happening. Yet he looks at the prisoners and says, why are you sad? Okay? Why? I, I bet they were thinking... Why the heck are you so happy? What the heck is wrong with you? Like, do you know where we are? We have every reason to be sad. Earthly wisdom, okay? He wasn't happy, guys. He wasn't okay because he was insane or, like, delusional, all right? It's because even though circumstantially things were falling apart, he still had two roads to choose from. Because we always have roads to choose from. The road of trusting in God... Or doubting him. The road of faith or fear. The road of love for God or the road of offense at God. The road of holding on to control or the road of letting go of control. You can tell which road Joseph chose because every bad thing that happened to him, every bad situation, everyone around him could tell still that God was with him. And he kept getting promoted everywhere he went. They made him leader of everyone. Okay? He kept choosing the road less traveled by, the road of radical faith and obedience, and it manifested in the peace and clarity that he walked in. 
Genesis 45.4, Joseph is at this point second in command to Pharaoh. Okay, he's got the whole kingdom at his fingertips. Rich, powerful, influential, and because of a great famine, all the world's coming to them to get food, or they're going to starve. One day, his brothers came bowing before him to get food. Dream one fulfilled. Okay, he tells them to get their father. He brings them, father and brothers bowing before Joseph. Dream two, fulfilled. I bet when God gave him those dreams, Joseph would have never picked the way it was going to happen, right? Like, who the heck would pick that way? But all along the way, he held on to what God had spoken. He held on to the character of God. He chose to trust in the Lord every time he had a decision to make. I can doubt you. I can be mad at you. I can lean on my own understanding or I can trust in who you are, God. He let go of his plans or his ideas of what he thought God should do for him, his entitlement, and he held on tight to God, who he knew God was. That is taking the road less traveled by. Joseph's brothers thought that he would be mad at them for what they did. Like, obvious. Who wouldn't, right? Like, you sold me into slavery. I love you. Like, no one would would do that. But you can see where Joseph's heart was um, in in verse 4. It says, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Okay? Do you see how he processed all the crap that he just went through? His brother sold him into slavery. He's like accused of a crime. He's put into prison. And then he looks back at his brothers. He could have had so many evil things to say to them. Earthly wisdom says do that, right? But he says, hey, like, don't be mad at yourself. You think you sent me here, but it was actually God who sent me here to preserve life. Like, he put me here so that I could interpret these dreams about the famine, so that I could save many people who would have perished had I not been here. It wasn't you. You don't have the power to ruin my life circumstances. It's God who sent me here to preserve life. He had a bigger plan all along. You may have meant things for my evil, but God meant it all for my good and for his glory. Okay? See, Joseph had this kingdom principle engraved in his mind the whole time. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. And as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, Joseph looked around him at all the stuff, all the circumstances, all the bad situations, and he could have said, man, this is, is it. My circumstances are, are what's real, not those big dreams that God gave me. He could have judged the, the Lord's character and faithfulness based on how things were looking at the moment, but he decided not to. He had a decision to make, and he chose the road less traveled by. In the same way, we can choose to trust in the Lord with all our hearts, or we can choose to lean on our own understanding. We can choose to believe and acknowledge that his ways are higher than our own. And even if we can't see the fullness or understand all the details of it right now, that we can still believe him and that in the end, it's all going to be for our good and for his glory, that he's going to work it all out, right? We can believe that God has bigger plans and a greater vision than we can comprehend at the moment. Or not. It may be foolish, guys, but I encourage you to take that road less traveled by. 
Two roads diverged in a wood. One is letting your circumstances dictate your faith, and the other is letting your faith move your circumstances. Which path will you choose? You know, this semester, you will have so many choices to make. You will have many diverging paths. You will be like that traveler in Robert Frost's poem, and you're going to stand at a fork in the road over and over and over again. And both paths are going to look very appealing. Just like the traveler had a very difficult decision to make, you're going to be faced with difficult decisions to make as well. Both that look good, okay? Both that are a little unknown, And the staff are here to counsel you, to pray for you, to open up the word of God and speak truth into your life, to be there for you, to walk alongside you on your Emmaus road. But we're never going to make a decision for you. That's you. Okay? You will come to many diverging paths. One that is easy, comfortable, and one that you frankly don't need Jesus to show up in for it to work out because you've kind of got it all figured out on your own. Okay, And the other will be a narrow and unknown path, a path that at times is lonely and hard, a path when your faith vision is clearer than your real vision, a path that the world may point at times and say, what a waste, how foolish. But I stand before you today having made many of those foolish decisions in the world's eyes, and I've been both mocked and ridiculed and also honored and exalted Okay, by those decisions to take the road less traveled by. The the opinion of man, guys, is so fickle. It comes and goes. And we can't make life decisions based on how people will respond. Okay? The narrow path is marked with such intimacy with God that it's unbelievable. And it's what life is made to be. God's heart for you this semester, Emmaus SNU, is this. Choose God's foolishness over the world's wisdom. Two, let Jesus intercept your plans. And three, commit to seeing with eyes of faith, not trusting in your own circumstances. Um, I'm out of time ten minutes ago, but... I still have some more to say, but I I wanted to spend a little time in prayer before I wrap up. So, Bo, can you get on the keys? Um, At Emmaus, we have a vision statement, okay? And I like to express that during our first large group. And the vision statement goes like this. We believe we were made for more. We believe this generation is yearning for the life-changing power of Jesus. We believe this revelation sets hearts on fire. We believe this burning generation transforms nations. And when I minister to this group of 20-something people, what I see when I look at you guys is not just the 20 of you here. I see cities and schools and families and nations represented in you. Okay? If you are one of the chosen number that is sitting in this room today, it's because God has extraordinary plans for your life. It's not man's doing. It's not because your school had a partnership It's not for your credit hours, okay? Even if you think it is, God had way bigger plans for you being in Korea this semester than you could ever imagine. Um, You are here because of a Jesus interception, okay? And when God saved me six years ago in Emmaus, I was a broken college sophomore. But he saw that 20-year-old messed up kid, and he didn't just see Rona. He saw Bora. 
<laughs> he saw Hyojin, who was like my first disciple in Emmaus SNU ever. He saw Jungmi. <laughs> he saw Gina, who I got to lead to Christ like a year ago. Okay? He saw Amy, he saw Yi, he saw everyone sitting here today. He saw my family. Okay, he saw my my um, town in Arkansas who are all listening to my podcast. It's really interesting. Um, you see, the decisions of faith you make this semester, every single one of them, even if it seems like no one else cares or knows about it, every decision of faith you make is impacting so many more people than you know. Okay, my decision to just go to a large group and listen to this balding campus minister named Christian Lee, okay, um, and go to a retreat and go to small group, like those seem like they're so insignificant, but they're actually roads diverging in a wood kind of decisions. And when I made those decisions, it was impacting all of us here today, okay? And, and that's not it, because he saw all the people that you were going to influence too. And, and that's what he did with Joseph. His brother's threw him into a pit, sold him into slavery, and then Joseph said, you think it was your doing, but God did this to preserve so many lives. Okay, God did this to preserve so many lives, and God has in store for you so much good this semester, for your benefit, yes, but to save so many lives, to advance his kingdom in a way that you never imagined or thought possible through your one life. Two roads diverged in a wood. I chose the one less traveled by, and it has made all the difference. Man, I can relate to that poem. And at Emmaus, we all believe, the staff who gave up their free time, okay, who hang out with college students, the student leaders who are also needing to study, okay, we all believe that we were made for more. And I guess the question that we always have on our hearts is, do you believe that? Do you believe that you were made for so much more than what you see right now? Do you believe that you can transform nations? Because what God has in store for you is exactly that. It's, it's going to be so crazy what this semester can look like as we continue to make those decisions of faith. You know... Um, the disciples that were around Jesus, many of them were attracted to him because he performed miracles. Many of them knew his, his sermons and his teachings, but only a few of them took that road less traveled by and walked in intimacy and fellowship with him. And I, my challenge for you this semester is choose that road of intimacy. Choose that road of fellowship, of radical faith. Um, I want you to close your eyes and we're going to just pray together.